life is long. And, you know, there's nobody holding you back from pivoting at any point in time. You know, in my case, everything is about, you know, really trying to make the world a better place. Hi, I'm Jody Boyman, and you're entering a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light and or find the light in the darkness to prove there's still good out there and lots of it. Welcome to World Gone Good. Now, if you enjoy the good we got going on here, why not share it uh, with your friends, your own good friends? You and they can subscribe to us wherever you are listening right now. And if you really all dig us, we love a rating and a review every time you do any and all of these options. You help more people find the good of World Gone Good. And for that, as always, we say thank you. Today doesn't even feel like a show to me. What did you do? Clearly, you did something to make it not feel like a show for me or... Um, it doesn't feel like that to me today because, uh, I'm not really doing a show. It doesn't feel like it because my guest is my neighbor, my friend, and my frequent go out to dinner with pal. I bring Jim along. We all go out. So it feels like we're just, you know, hanging out, you know? So, um, here we go. Let's just hang out, you know? Jody Boyman spent her early days photographing the world for the likes of Life magazine, and now she's feeding that world and helping to save it one meal at a time through her company, Hungry Planet Foods. My friend Jody is here, and Jody, I wanted you to tell everybody how we met. We met. At a Christmas party that you and Jim were throwing at your house, and I was a tag-along very last-minute plus one to our mutual friend, Kathy, and she said, I said, hey, let's go out and get a bite to eat. She said, sorry, already taken, but I'm going over to these friends' house. Do you want to come? And I am a card-carrying introvert, and I thought, yeah, I think I'll just sit at home in my pajamas. And then I thought, you know what? COVID is a little bit in the rearview mirror and I'm a little bit needing to get out and meet some new folks. And these people are plant-based and, you know, wow, like this is sounds like a fun opportunity. So I pulled up in the dark, couldn't find the door, uh, couldn't figure out how to get in, finally did. And, um, wound up in your kitchen that was just teeming with joy and energy and good food and wine. And, and that's how we met. I think you beat Kathy to the party. I think you got there first. No, she was, was already, she already in there? the okay. kitchen. Yeah, okay. she was already in the kitchen. I was the dawdler because I just wasn't sure <laughs> if I was going to go or not. I mean, nothing terrifies me more than like showing up somewhere where I don't know people um, you know, I'm very comfortable around my longtime friends, but I really am an introvert. So I was like, well, I'll, I'll know Kathy, at least I'll know Kathy. And, you know, she's been friends with these guys for a while and they've got their friends over and, 
you know, I'm always trying to increase my circle of friends who are plant-based just because, you know, we're a small fraction out there. We're still, what, three to 5% of of uh, the population in North America. So um, how great to be able to meet other people that, that share that same, you know, worldview. Now, you were recently named in the top 50 over 50. I was, yeah, by Forbes uh, magazine. They apparently got 10,000 um, entrants. Wow. And I, I thought I had gotten spam in my inbox. And so I sent it over to my social media manager. And I said, look, you know, Becky, this just seems like spam. You know, they're asked, they're saying that I'm a nominee. I need to fill out these 18 pages of, you know, um, interview questions and submit by, you know, Friday at whatever time. And she looked at it. She said, I, I think it's the real deal. Like you should, you should probably just do it. Um, so I did. I had everything ready to go. I was missing some um, financial information from my co-founder that I didn't get until 72 hours after the deadline. And so I thought, well, that's it. I'll just, you know, I, I missed that opportunity. And I got the information and I submitted it late. I just figured, well, I will. I've already got everything else filled out. And then three days later, they said, congratulations, you are a 2022 uh, recipient 50 over 50 for entrepreneurs. So I flew out to New York and to the Forbes building there, which is a super cool location in Manhattan and met the other recipients. And um, I've just, you know, never been surrounded by so many women who are just at the top of their game. Um, and, you know, it's the 50 over 50. But let me tell you, some of us are way over 50. <laughs> and some of us were, you know, I mean, Joe Biden's sister was there and she said, yeah, you have no idea how hard it is to, you know, raise a kid brother, you know, to a big laugh. But and she's just like spry as could be and, you know, weighs about 100 pounds wet and was just running around the room chatting with everybody. And I met the first Latina Rockette, who is probably a good, you know, 10 years older than I am. And um, anyway, just some very, very interesting, cool entrepreneurs and scientists and innovators and all, all just really cool people. And all women. I should, we should really note that. Oh, yes. Yes, we should. So this is an award for women who are, you know, 50 over 50. And um, a few years ago, I think it was three, maybe four, um, Forbes started out with their category 30 under 30 to um, recognize those women who were just coming out of their PhD programs and, you know, becoming entrepreneurs or doing whatever they're doing. And so, um, uh, those awardees, I think there's three or four years of those. And then in March, um, Forbes had the 3050 um, summit in Abu Dhabi in UAE. Um, and all of the awardees were invited to attend. It wasn't mandatory, of course, but I thought, what a fun opportunity. So flew out there. So I got to meet a lot of the 30 under 30s. And was just so inspired by what they're accomplishing and their visions. And, you know, I, I found that so many of them, um, when they would get me, you know, on a bus when we were being shuttled to an event at the Louvre or, you know, out into the desert for an event or something, they would sort of pull me aside and say, you know, I just don't know, like, how am I going to have a kid? I, I mean, I, you know, I'm just out of my PhD program and I've got this advisor that's put my name forward for all this stuff. I'm married you know, my husband wants a kid and I, you know, I'm working a hundred hours a week right now. Like, is it possible? They would ask me. And because I was a much later in life mom, 
you know, I was able to say to them, well, look, you know, you're 32, you still got a lot of time, you know, don't worry about it. And they would say, yeah, but it's just going to get harder. And I'm like, oh, I know. Um, So, you know, there's a lot to juggle in this world um, as a woman, especially if you want to have children. Um, and of course, Steve, you and I are, are parents of, of fur children, and that, that is no small thing either. Um, you you know, have I've human spent, children too. You, you did. I, I have both. <laughs> I, I have both. And I've probably rescued 30, I think I counted them. It was like 26 dogs or oh something God. in my life. So, and you've done the same thing, right? And, and so there's a lot of care and attention and time that goes into that as well. So we all have things that pull on us in addition to what we're doing professionally, and especially if it's mission-based business um, like mine is, which is to bend the curve on personal and planetary health through these delicious and nutritious plant-based meats, you know, the the line there is very blurred. um, And it's very often hard to say, okay, work is done. (laughs) Now, I now this is my free time. Like, you know, it's just all one and the same for me um, as a co-founder you just live it, you know, 24, seven, 365. And, uh, it's a heavy lift, but it, it's, um, it just feels good to be trying to make a difference. What we're talking about here too, which you're mentioning is hungry planet. That's your company. And where did the name come from? It started because Todd, my brother, my kid brother, Todd, who, um, is See, my now it's your kid brother, like Biden's kid. Exactly. <laughs> my kid brother who I had to help raise, um, you know, who's this amazing businessman and has had a lot of other careers and I've had, you know, other careers as well, um, as a wildlife photographer for 20 years. And then as a psychotherapist, um, and then I had my kids in my very late thirties, early forties, but, um, you know, we just decided we wanted to do something in the second half of our life that was going to really make a difference um, in a measurable way and as quickly as possible, just because there's that feeling, right, that time is flying and we need a lot of solutions to some of the world's most pressing problems. So we sat down together, Todd and I, and we thought, okay, what are we going to do? We really just started from scratch. And you know, eventually we thought, hmm, you know, it just seems like food is the biggest common denominator in the human experience and thus potentially the biggest lever for change. You know, if we can influence people to think differently about what they're eating and to actually eat differently, even if just on occasion, it would be meaningful and it would help, um, you know, curb climate change and uh, you know, water issues and land issues and, and uh, methane issues, all these things that we're now aware of. So we said, okay, you know, let's do a food company. You know, what should it be? And um, we grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, I was there about 18 years before I fled to go <laughs> to Colorado College. And so we grew up around meat eaters. I mean, the Midwest is just everybody eats a copious amount of conventional meat. And you are really a weirdo if you don't, right? And so I was a weirdo from about the age of 12. I didn't know any vegans or vegetarians. And I just said, I want to stop eating my animal friends. I'm just not going to eat them anymore. And so this goes back a long time for me. um, And it's been building for many decades. But I thought, yeah, let's step into this. This could be a food company. Let's make meat. But let's make it from plants. Let's just circumvent the animal altogether. 
And what are we trying to address? We're trying to address this globe of now 8 billion people, where we raise to slaughter 80 billion land animals, not aquatic included, just land animals per year. So our problem is we're really trying to feed a hungry planet, but to do it in a sustainable way. And um, so it just sort of came out of that brainstorm that we had over a few weeks, actually, uh, where we were both just taking a breather uh, from our previous jobs and me from a long-term marriage that I was just pivoting away from that and uh, just feeling a, a whole new sense of empowerment and stepping into what really makes me tick and what I'm really, really passionate about and have been for, for decades. There's got to be some science going on here too, because to create a food line that is plant-based, but feeding in toward the, you know, upbrought, upbringing, normal, you know, average American who eats meat, chicken, fish, there's science involved to get the flavoring right, to get all the textures right. Did you guys have any knowledge of any of that or... Well, you know, we, we actually knew we wanted to do something about food. And then we started um, with a couple chefs, um, one of whom is a certified master chef. There are only 60 in the country. He was a professor at the Culinary Institute of America for many years. It's the preeminent culinary school in North America. And we just said to them, hey, guys, you know, you're omnivores, and that's great, so we want you to be able to take, you know, these ingredients and we wanted a small ingredient duck right from the beginning. We wanted to be the healthiest plant-based meat out there. And we still are to this day. So this, just to give you an idea, this was way before beyond or impossible. were on the scene. This was our vision years, years and years before. So we were slowly kind of working away at it. Um, and, we didn't have any unnatural forces upon what we were doing because we were self-funded, right? We weren't raising money. We just it was sort of a side hustle, if you will, for a while, a, an interest for us. And so, yeah, we got some food scientists involved. We got some very talented, experienced chefs involved who are omnivores. And we said, as soon as it satisfies you and it tastes like, you know, all of these different proteins, and we started out with beef and chicken, and pork, and crab. Those were our first four. And we now have nine proteins more than any other company, um, including lamb, and turkey, and various sausages, breakfast sausage, and chorizo, and Italian sausage. And, you know, we've been asked uh, by other countries, uh, particularly those in the Middle East that are very interested in what we're doing, and they're saying, well, that's all fine, but can you make camel? Oh, my God. And we're like, yeah, sure, you know, give us about two months and we'll have camel for you. So, yes, there's a lot of science involved, Steve. There's a lot of, of trial and error. And we had a lot of time, uh, you know, to our advantage, right? It, it wasn't, we weren't feeling stressed out about it. And from the very beginning, we've always been about chef coats and not lab coats, we don't believe that food is tech. That's just never been our orientation. We've always wanted to come at it from a culinary point of view. And, you know, we needed it to be the healthiest out there with the fewest ingredients and something that would move through the supply chain 
exactly like conventional meat does. So that especially on the food service side, when, you know, a five pound chub, they call it a chub in food service of our meat arrives, they go, oh, I know what to do with that. You know, that's just like ground beef or that's just like chicken or that's just like pork. And they immediately get their knives out and their recipes out and they just plug it in. It's just a one-to-one swap for conventional meat in any recipe, any global cuisine. So we wanted to make it that easy. It couldn't be precious, right, to handle. It had to just be easy adoption. And um, yeah, so that's that's where we started and we just worked to perfect it. Lots and lots and lots of iterations. In this previous life you spoke of, you traveled the world as a photographer. What kind of photographer would you classify yourself as? Right after graduating from Colorado College, um, English major, but I did more photography than English, you know, the yearbook and the school paper and all that. Um, I moved to New Mexico and I became the photo editor of Albuquerque Living Magazine, which is a slick city monthly magazine. Um, And then, you know, shortly thereafter, I thought this isn't exactly what I want to be doing. I really more want to be um, spending a lot of time around animals, which is my biggest passion, just being in nature and around wild animals. So um, I ended up spending a lot of time in Africa. Um, I was also one of the first 3,000 non-scientists or whalers to ever go down to Antarctica in 1987. And then again in 1989, I was working for Life Magazine and Travel and Leisure and um, was doing a lot of greeting card stuff. Um, and so just really loved being down there at that time. There was just one ship. I mean, we were, we were it in the entire Weddell sea. It was just our tiny little research ship with a, you know, a hundred people on board. And now there's, you know, gigantic cruise ships down there and they bump into each other if they're not careful. So it was quite the adventurous time. And um, I really loved my experience there because those uh, animals, the, the penguins, all the different species are not afraid of people. Um, it's the opposite sort of of what's going on in Africa, right? So penguins, you, you get off your dinghy, you know, you somehow get off your raft and usually you get washed ashore <laughs> because it's rough landing. And then they immediately come up to you and they start trumpeting and they get right on your rubber boots and they want to check you out. And it's just really clear that each one has a you know personality and a, a sense of individuality and you watch their behavior and they're stealing rocks from each other's little nests and you know strutting over to their own and trumping them down and you know so that that was fun but yeah africa you know oh gosh i i would love to live half of my the rest of my life over there if if i could manage it i, I would um and i love love photographing endangered species to raise awareness. I've done a lot of art prints for collectors. Um, I've done a lot of, you know, greeting card and magazine work. This was way back in the analog days, right? This is way pre-digital. And I wanted to ask you that because I was, that's something I wanted to talk to you about. It's like, you didn't have the ability to look in the viewfinder and see, you know, a picture, you know, there was no digital. You were, were there moments where you're like, God, I hope I got it or God, I know I got it. And you didn't know if you got it until you got to an actual, you know, um, room where you put the photo. What is that called? What is it called? Again? A dark room. A, Thank a you dark- very much. Yeah. <laughs> the room. 
<laughs> my brain photo. But when you're sitting there with the red light and you're were you yeah. doing all your own pictures, praying to God that the magic was there? Yes, very much so. So, you know, back in the day I was shooting chrome. So slides, right? 35 millimeter um, slides. I had, you know, big 400 millimeter lenses or even bigger. And my lenses had names. One of them was named Colin. You know, I really need actually people <laughs> to help me carry all my glass around because I had a lot of heavy duty glass. And yeah, you, you know, you fly down there in my case to Punta Arenas, you know, Chile. And that was back in the day when if you were lucky, you could put your um, film in lead bags and put it through the x-ray machines, which were never calibrated, right? So you never knew if they were going to just blast your chrome before you even could put it in your camera to shoot wow. it. And so I managed to get down for my second one where I was down there shooting for Life magazine, and I was down there for over a month, and I shot hundreds of rolls of film. And you have no idea, right? You're just bracketing and you're doing all the old school stuff. And then I got to the airport to come back through and I had everything in my lead bag. And they said, no, you have to take it out of the lead bag. I said, oh, no, <laughs> no, you don't understand. Like you're going to ruin my five weeks and I'm shooting for this magazine and it it'll ruin it. And they said, sorry, you know, they're just flunky standing there. And so I had to x-ray all of my chrome after I had shot everything. And then I got it home and then you do snip tests, you know, you're really careful and you just take the first two out and you just develop that just to make sure. And so anyway, it was very, very nerve wracking. I mean, it's nothing like it is now. I mean, my kids have only ever grown up with, you know, iPhones in their hands and they can right. do videos and they're seeing immediately what they're doing and they're, then they're putting filters on it, like instantaneously making themselves look five years younger and smarter and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, no, you know, I'm the Ansel Adams approach, right? Like you just put yourself in the middle of this scene in nature and you prayed to the goddess of, you know, clouds and rain and light. And you just hope that the light is going to be beautiful. And then you shoot it, you know, and you bracket it. And um, I got back from that one trip and I don't know if you know of the recording artist Yanni. Sure. So he, um, reached out to me because he had found out I was in Antarctica and he said, I'm doing a new album. It's called Polar Shift. And have you got an image for me? I would just like to see what you have. And um, so I provided him this image that looks like a painting because I shot it at 400 ASA push to 800. So it was very, uh, very stippled looking, I guess you would say. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's like this iceberg that is 150, 200 feet tall. And in the middle is this little line of black and white penguins that are way, way up in the air before the iceberg flipped again. And I, and it was driving rain. I was in this little Zodiac and I just, I shot a bunch of images in the driving rain with this pushed film and it turned out beautifully. And so it's the cover of his album from many years ago. I think it was probably the late eighties. <laughs> Did you always see yourself as an adventurous person? Because you just said you're an introvert, but here you are doing, you know, travels around the world and, and taking on these big projects. Yeah, I am at my core an adventurous person. Um, my parents are first generation European and so, and they were academicians. So we spent every summer um, traveling very, very simply and sleeping on the floor of you know, family members in England and Switzerland and wherever. So we, we were well-traveled um, as young people. Um, and 
you know, Todd has worked internationally for many, many years and, you know, I've traveled all over Southeast Asia and, um, you know, I lived and worked in Alaska when I was 18 to make money to put myself through college. Um, I was like the only woman in Alaska in 1981. Let me just be on the record for that. It was crazy, but I was making great money. Um, yeah, so I, I am a nomad at heart. I'm a traveler at heart, but you know, a lot of us who are introverts love to travel on our own. Um, right. 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 I mean, uh, because then you are forced to really be present in the moment and there's nobody else that's going to sort it out for you. Right. And so it's a very, full experience when you travel alone. And, you know, and I've traveled with my kids when they were little as well. That's a different kind of travel. Um, I've traveled with friends. It's, uh, but I do love traveling alone too. If you could go back to young Jody, the one who left college and was starting her first adventure, what would you say to her? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think after I graduated from college, like many of us, we felt like we had to grow up and, you know, get a job and figure out what it was and settle down. And And the um, example that had been laid for us by, you know, the generation before me was you get a job and that's your job, like until you're done, until you retire. Well, that's been flipped on its head, right? Even even in my generation, but certainly for my kids' generation, it has been completely flipped on its head. So I would have loved to have had the advice that, hey, you know what? Just take a breath. Um, life is long. And, you know, there's nobody holding you back from pivoting at any point in time uh, in your career or careers where you feel like, you know, there's an issue that you can address and um, you can do it with empathy and you can do it with smarts. And, um, you know, in my case, everything is about, you know, really trying to make the world a better place. And right now I'm doing it through food, you know, primarily plant-based meats. Um, But, you know, people can do it through all kinds of things. So instead of, saying to young people, what do you want to be when you grow up? I always say, and I say this to my kids is, you know, Hey, what problem do you want to solve? You know, what problem do you want to solve? And how can you bring your empathy and your creativity, your heart and soul and smarts to that? Um, and then of course, surround yourself with people that, that can help you get there. That's absolutely crucial. But I guess that's the advice that I would get. It just, feels so daunting when you're right out of college. It's like, dang, what, what do I, you know, I guess I'm an adult now. I guess I got to have a a career. And is this what I'm going to be forever? You know, until I retire? No, it doesn't have to be that way. We close these shows with three questions. Don't worry. You know, the answers first and foremost, the easiest one, where do people find you? Where do people find hungry planet? So I love connecting with people on my LinkedIn. That's where I am the most active. And I've got, I don't know, eight or 10,000 people that are connected with me there. So that's just, you know, on LinkedIn, I'm Jody Boyman. I'm the only one on the planet. So you can find me Um, on our website. Please, you know, check out our website. There's a lot of information there about how we're bending the curve 
on personal and planetary health, and that is hungryplanetfoods.com, and that's pluralfoods.com, and then social media at hungryplanetfoods. Um, our Instagram account is uh, you know posted regularly, as is Facebook. And we were talking this weekend, was it last week when we had dinner, or was it the week before? My brain. No, it was last week. And we were talking about that if people can't find Hungry Planet in a store near them, there's like all these places online now where you can sample stuff. You don't have to buy it in bulk. Yeah. So I would always, you know, tell people to go to hungryplanetfoods.com and go to the find us page, which we regularly update. That's really the easiest. You just put in your zip code and it'll tell you like, yeah, you know, one mile away, you can get it here, here, here. If it's not available to you within a, a short drive, um, you can go on to Amazon, where I know that you discovered you have to order in large quantities, which works for food trucks and large families and you know family gatherings and the holidays and stuff. That's that's a great way to order because it's just you know a very good unit price deal. Um, otherwise, um, we are setting up right now with a company called Plant X. They're a wonderful um, online ordering. Uh, you know, capability, and you can get all of our retail products there at Plant X and also veganessentials.com. So if you just want to try, you know, one pouch of the pork gyoza um, or the crispy and fried chicken, which makes a great sandwich, you don't want to get a whole case of it, you can get it at those, those places. The crispy fried chicken is delicious. That's so good. It's my yeah, son's favorite. It's so good. And I make a little... um a little slaw with it and I yes. put the slaw on top of it and then I put barbecue sauce on top of it and then I put it on a pretzel bun. Just uh. come on over, come over to my house, everybody. <laughs> come on over. Just, <laughs> if you can find my house, if you can find my house like Jody did, then you can come over. Okay. The last two questions are, can go back to anything we already talked about or anything you want to say. Question number one is who inspires you? Yeah. Well, interesting that you should ask because um, on LinkedIn, Yesterday, I posted on Jane Goodall's 89th birthday. Um, she is still traveling 250 plus years a day to spread her message. And she has been a shero of mine for decades and decades and decades since that original picture, which I'm sure most of you know, is she's crouched down and she has her arm outstretched. She's in Gombe, Tanzania, and this little, little chimpanzee is reaching his hand out to her and they're touching. Um, and, you know, his name is Flint and uh, he's just looking up at her and it's just this most amazing connection between species and between individuals. So I would say that, you know, Jane Goodall has has really impacted my life for, for many decades. And, you know, she she's famous for saying the greatest danger to our future is apathy, right? And so we all need to get off the dime and we need to be doing something every day to make the world a better place. And if it's through food, we got, you know, a solution for you uh, or any other way you want to do it, but just be proactive in life to make the world a better place. And the final question is not even a question. It is a statement to finish any way you'd like. Tell me something good. I don't know. I think right now is such an exciting time because there are so many incredibly intelligent, creative 
and thoughtful people who are starting to meaningfully step into the the gigantic challenge before us and to lend their skills and their expertise. And, you know, the younger generations have inherited a massive environmental crisis. So now's the time more than ever to flip the script and see the massive opportunity before us to create solutions. So I just say, you know, come on, let's get going. I'm not getting any younger here. My kids are growing up in this world. So there's nothing better than the present. And my daily mantra is this, may our daily choices be a reflection of our deepest values. Thank you, Jody, for sharing your good. So who's up for some hungry planet? Hmm? Get in line behind me. Next time on World Gone Good. If you say no to me, that means I really have not expressed the need enough to you. So let me tell you some more information. Let me educate you some more. Let me give you another perspective that I may not have been clear on. Orzy Cook is a good force of nature who does not take no for an answer, and why should she? Honestly, why should she? She is the vision behind Praline's Backyard Foundation, where they are dedicated to supporting survivors of domestic violence by giving them a safe place to keep their beloved pets during transitions. We are going to talk about public health and public safety. We're going to talk about the deep pet connection and how deep it goes. And we're also going to talk about how the COVID lockdown helped make this whole thing happen, how it all launched her project. I can't wait for you to meet her on our next brand new episode. Until then, be good.